text of the sermon this morning is from the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. And I will begin reading at verse 23 from the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 23 through 27. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. They said therefore to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but there were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciples, the disciple took her into his own household. Now it may seem a little strange this morning to preach a sermon about the cross on Mother's Day and the day of the dedication of children. But these tender words spoken by a son to his mother took place there where Jesus was being crucified. What a moving and touching scene it must have been as a mother watched her son, innocent son, being crucified. That horrible means of, um, of capital punishment was not invented by the Romans. It was invented by the Phoenicians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians. And when the Romans took possession of that countryside, they reserved this means of capital punishment only for their slaves and the most vicious criminals. And it is a part of the humiliation of Jesus that he had to die like this for it numbered him as being a vile and terrible criminal. I'll not bore you this morning, I'll spare you the, the gory details of the crucifixion. Suffice it to say that for six hours Jesus died the most horrible of deaths. And there are some customs that surround the crucifixion that kind of bring this thing into focus I want to mention to you. For example, there were actually five men who took part in the, in the crucifixion. There was a group of four that we would call today a squad, and these men were responsible for protecting the victim as they moved from the place of his imprisonment out to the place of his execution. And then there was the centurion who was in charge of the squad. And as these four men, these four soldiers, walked with the victim. They kind of formed a protective shield around him and kept him from the abuse of the crowd. 
And when when they got out to the place of execution, they took part in actually nailing him there. And they were responsible for staying at the cross until the victim died. And to compensate for their extra work, they were allowed to take to themselves the garments of the victim because these men were crucified naked. Our Lord was crucified naked. And they would take their garments and place them at the feet of the cross. The Jewish boy or Jewish man wore really five articles of clothing. There was the headpiece or the headband that kept the hair out of his face. There was the footwear, usually sandals, that they wore. There was the outer cloak or coat that kind of was open all the way down to the front. You've seen pictures and kind of draped around their shoulders. And there was a belt that kind of held it together and it was called a girdle. And these four men were allowed to take to themselves these four articles and they gave one to each one. But there were five articles and the other article was the one they gambled over. It was the keton, it was the tunic. It was kind of an undergarment that was woven, in Jesus' case, out of one piece of material and it fit underneath the outer garment and hung just below the knees. It was the most valuable of all that they wore. And when it came to this one, the soldiers said, now, we're not going to tear that up and divide it into four pieces. Let's cast lots for it. And so they did. Now, I don't want to overwork this passage, but I want to show you what actually happened out there. If you'll notice that in the middle of verse 24, the narrative stops And the last part of verse 24 and all of verse 25 is an addition that John added to the Scripture 70 years later when when he wrote the Gospel. So that the narrative ends in the middle of 24 and takes up again at at verse 27 or 26. And it was when they came to the tunic which was made by Mary, the mother of Jesus, and was given to him, that Jesus remembered his mother. Now these ketones were usually given by a mother to her son. When the son left home and began his life, his life's vocation out in the world, And so when the soldiers touched all four of the other garments, it didn't really bother Jesus. But when they touched the katon, this tunic made by his mother and given to him when he began his life's ministry, it touched something very dear to his heart and it reminded him of his mother. And the narrative then picks up again when it says that they gambled for his tunic, that Jesus looked down and he saw his mother and their eyes met, and it must have been a moving and graphic and touching scene as Jesus looked down into the face of his mother and his mother looked up into the face of her son. For around that cross that day, it was just literally electric with emotion, the emotion the deepest being, the emotion that was felt between a mother and her son and a son and his mother. But I want to capture some of these emotions that surround that cross that day and look at them with you for a minute. 
First of all, there was the callous indifference of the soldiers. While God was declaring His greatest word on that cross, in the person of Jesus and His redemptive death, while He was saying His greatest word, these men beneath the cross were gambling for His garment, the quintessence of the callousness of indifference. And sitting down, they watched Him there, the soldiers did. And while, he, while they played their dice, he, threw, he made His sacrifice and died upon the cross to rid God's world of sin. On that center cross hung the sinless Son of God in agony. Beneath that cross were the soldiers gambling their dice as if it didn't matter. Someone has caught the feeling of that indifference, an artist, and he pictured Jesus standing on a busy street corner in a modern city and his hands are outstretched and nail-pierced and the crowd surges by and don't even pass him a glance except for one little hospital nurse. And underneath the painting are the words of Lamentation 1.12. Is it nothing to you, all ye who pass by? Look and see if there's any pain like my pain. The tragedy is not the world's hostility toward Jesus. The tragedy is the world's indifference towards Him and indifference that treats the love of God as if it didn't matter. And that's the scandal of Durant, Oklahoma. The problem, the tragedy of our time is not that we have armed ourselves and are violently hostile to Jesus. The tragedy of our time is that we're apathetic and indifferent toward Him. Someone told about attending an ecumenical conference. All the great church fathers, religious leaders were there. And sitting on the stage was the leader of the church conference, a great, portly, big, huge man dressed in a long, flowing black robe with a beautiful beard, and around his neck, hanging on a golden chain, was a magnificent cross. And he said, I watched the man as speakers stood to speak, and he had a look of calloused indifference on his face, and he said, I watched him as he took the cross one time and cleaned his fingernails. And Stuart Kennedy caught the spirit of the indifference of man when he said, when Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged Him on a tree. They drove great nails through His hands and feet and made a calvary. They crowned His head with a crown of thorns. Red were His wounds and deep, for those were crude and cruel days, and human flesh was cheap. When Jesus came to Birmingham or to Durant, when Jesus came to Birmingham, they only passed him by. They wouldn't hurt a hair of him. They simply let him die. For men have grown more tender. They would not cause him pain. They just passed down the street and left him in the rain. And still he prayed, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And still it rained, that winter rain that drenched him through and through. And the crowds went home and left the streets so there wasn't a soul to see 
when Jesus crouched against the wall and cried for Calvary. For I want you to know that the indifference of man hurts the heart of our Lord more than his hostility. There is another emotion at the cross, not just the calloused indifference of the soldiers, but the compassion of the Savior. Dr. Bradley Jones said in this third cry of Jesus, Woman, behold your son. We may have found the clearest and easiest understood demonstrations of human denunciation of genuine self-denial in all the Scripture. For when Jesus cried that cry, He gave up everything for us, even His mother. From this third cry on the cross, He gave evidence that He was cutting Himself off from a mother's love. He was forsaking the best thing that an earthly life can offer, a mother's love. He is renouncing every tie that may stand in the way of His Saviorhood. He gave it all up for us. Try to picture, if you can, the anguish of our Lord's heart when He said goodbye to His mother. Have you ever had to do that? Some of you have. Try to understand the anguish of this man's heart as he agonizingly broke the bonds of that sacred relationship in order that he might be our Savior. Oh, what love! And there was compassion for his mother. Even while he was suffering in body and soul, he thought only of his mother. He who wept at the grave of Lazarus and over Jerusalem had no tears for his own grief and no time for the wounds in his own hands and feet. He thought only of his mother's aching heart. And so he said to John, I want you to take care of my mother. And in doing that, he left us an example. He taught us the kind of obedience and esteem that is due our parents. And he taught us that we are to honor and esteem them and respect them, not just when we are minors, but all the way to the end. He taught us that man owes his mother a debt of gratitude he'll never repay. And Dwight L. Moody said it for us, when he stood over the grave of his mother and said, I owe you more than anyone in this world. For you loved me when I was a wild sinner, and your prayers followed me when I didn't believe in myself, and I love you more than I love my own life. The example of Jesus is always there, but not as profound as in his relationship to his parents. Watch this. As a little boy in the temple, when they came back to find him, the scripture says that he went and lived with his parents in obedience. That is to say, as a little child, he taught us how to treat our parents as minors. And on the cross, he taught us how to love our parents when we're beyond the time of their control.
Is your relationship with your parents what it ought to be? A person who neglects, who is negligent of this duty, is negligent of the virtue that is fundamental to the Christian faith. And there was, there was compassion for John. Grace was offered to one who failed, and a second chance was given. And you say, well, where do you find that, Pastor? Well, don't you remember that the Gospel of Matthew says that when they came to arrest Jesus, they all forsook Him and fled, and John was among them. But sometime between the arrest of Jesus and when they nailed Him to the cross, John came back, and Jesus didn't rebuke him and say, John, where were you when I needed you the most? Where were you when the hour of truth arrived? Didn't say that, but he looked at John and gave him a second chance and elevated him to a place of usefulness. There may be some this morning who have failed God and you feel that there's no place for you. There's encouragement from this. Maybe in the hour of testing you failed, Maybe in the hour of trouble you denied Him. May you, maybe in your life you thought more of yourself than Him. There's encouragement here for God, for Jesus offers you a place in His kingdom because He's compassionate. Then there's the courage of His mother. Notice the position she's standing by the cross. She's standing there. That's her son who's dying, if you can imagine what was going on in her heart. A.W. Pink says it in a way that I cannot, so let me read it. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. After the days of his infancy and childhood and during all the public ministry of Christ, we see and hear so little of Mary. Her life was lived in the background, among the shadows, but now when the supreme hour strikes of her son's agony, when the world has cast out the child of her womb, she stands there by the cross. Who can fitly portray such a picture? Mary was the nearest to the cruel tree. Bereft of faith and hope, paralyzed and baffled by the strange scene, yet bound with the golden chain of love to the dying one, there she stands. Try and read the thoughts and emotions of that mother's heart. Oh, what a sword it was that pierced her soul then. Never such bliss at a human birth. Never such sorrow at an inhuman death. She stood there. That was her boy who, as an infant, leaned upon her breast. That was her son who, as a, who, as a child, studied in the temple. That was her lad who took care of the family when Joseph died. Have you ever noticed that, that you don't hear any more about Joseph after that temple experience? Scholarship agrees that he died shortly thereafter. And because Jesus was the oldest in the family, he took care, he was the leader. That was her son dying there. She it was who pressed kisses first upon his brow. That brow now is pierced and bleeding. She it was who first guided his hands and feet in their infantile movements. Now they are nailed to wood. 
she it was who cared for him when he couldn't care for himself. Now he's hanging there. And because his brow is bleeding, she'd like to soothe it with her tender hands, but she can't. And she sees those hands turn numb and livid, and she can't rub them. And she knows that mouth is hot as an oven, parched with thirst, and she can't even wet his lips. But there's no evidence of a, a feminine weakness. There's no uncontrollable cries of anguish. She doesn't fall to the ground in her grief. Had she fainted, we would have understood, but she stood there because characteristic of a mother is her courage. If you could recall this morning the face of your mother to your mind, and you already are, one thing I know that you would think of her and remember about her was her dauntless courage. There's something about a mother that's like that. And Hazeltine Judson went with her husband to Burma and for seven years they ministered without a convert. They were so persecuted and maligned they almost starved to death. And when Anne Hazeltine gave birth to her baby, her breasts were so shriveled with malnutrition she couldn't even nurse her child. And so she went down the streets to seek the breast of a Burmese woman to nurse her baby. That's the courage of a mother. There's one last thing about the cross, one last emotion there, and that is the commission of the disciple. And Jesus looked at John and said, take care of my mother. And the text says that from that day forward he took her in to his own household. But if your, if your uh, Bible is like mine, that word house or household is in italics and that means that in the original manuscript that word is not there and it's added for understanding. So that it's literally this, from that day forward, John took her into his own things. That is to say, from that day forward, everything that John owned belonged to Jesus and to the one Jesus loved. What is the commission that came to that disciple around the cross. This is the commission that he take the place of Jesus, that he literally become the substitute of the substitute. And after all, isn't that what you and I have been commissioned? Jesus is saying in essence to John, my hands are nailed to this tree here. You'll have to be my hands. My feet are nailed to this cross. You'll have to be my feet. My life is crucified here. You'll have to be my life. After all, isn't that what the church is about? For what Jesus commissioned John to do and to be was this, 
to take care of the responsibilities that Jesus would take care of if He remained in the flesh but didn't. Now listen carefully. On this Mother's Day, I must say it. God has entrusted to you, children, mother. And the commission is this. You train those children. You teach those children. You guide those children just like I would do it if I were there. Are you? And this is the commission to the church and to every Christian and to every disciple. You are all I have left in the world. Now you take my place there. Are you? For the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ and individually members of it. Christ has no hands but our hands to do His work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead them in the way. He has no lips but our lips to tell them how He died. He has no help but our help to bring them to His side. Listen that I'm through. J. Winston Pierce tells that his mother was a mountaineer woman in the hills of Carolina. And a mountaineer woman, he said, has a, has a language of her own. If, you've come, if you're a hillbilly, you know about it. And he said, while she was in college, they, they were having a play, and the play was focused around the main character was an old hillbilly, an old pioneer mountain woman. And they tried to find somebody to play her part, couldn't find anybody that would satisfy. The director, the drama director, just couldn't find anybody. So he decided he would just go into class and let everybody read the part, just to see if he could find somebody. It didn't have to be in drama class. When it came her time to read the part, she just talked normally, and he said, he just stopped her after the first sentence. He said, Eureka, we've got our mountain woman. And so the night came for the big production of the play, and the director came backstage to say, now I don't want to make any of you nervous or get you uptight or anything. They'll find time to tell them that. He said, but the author of the book, the author of the play is here in the audience tonight. I just wanted you to know that. And she went out on the stage and she performed the, the, the mountain woman, mountaineer lady. When the play was over, the author came backstage and he was congratulating everybody for such a magnificent job. And he went over and he took this woman's hands in his hands and he looked into her eyes and he said, I just want you to know that tonight you've put in flesh and blood the person I put on paper. You know what Jesus wants of you, Mother? He wants you to be in flesh and blood what He stands for. You know what He wants of you, my friend, 
He wants you to be in flesh and blood, the character we read about here. That's your commission. That's your responsibility. And one day, you and I will answer to God if we don't. Would you bow your head with me? I wonder how many emotions are here this morning surrounding this, this sermon. I wonder how many of us today are calloused and indifferent and unconcerned and apathetic. You've lost the burning heart. And you take the words of God Sunday after Sunday and you treat them as though it doesn't matter. And Jesus died and you don't care. I wonder if there are any of this morning here who feel the commission of our Lord and know that He has said to you, I want you to go and take care of everything and everyone that I love just like I would do it if I were there. And I wonder if there need to be this morning response and commitment of life and rededication. And I wonder if there's some who would just step out to say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. He died there for me. He gave up everything for me. I want to trust Him. I want to claim Him as my Savior. Or to place your life here in promise of letter by statement. I'm going to lead us in prayer and the choir will sing our invitation and we'll invite your response.